If you would uh, bow with me in prayer, we're going to scripture tells us to take before God our our needs, the things that are on our heart. We're going to take just a moment before we uh, opens God's word to do that. And as I pray, um, I'm going to pause in the middle. If there's names you'd like to lift up or there's or you would like to voice a prayer audibly during this time, I'd welcome you to do so. So let's pray together before we go to God's word. Dear Lord, we thank you for all you've given us. Uh, We do just come before you today. Uh, There's so many things, so many needs, even right here in our midst. Uh, Those that are struggling with health, we lift them up to you this morning. Uh, We think of our dear friend Bill, that you would would just uh, be with him this morning, that you would strengthen him, that you'd bring him back here with us. We lift up the many, many that we know need you right now, whether it be physical, mental, uh, spiritually, that you would just be with them, that you would strengthen them. We thank you that we can bring these things before you. We just uh, we pray that this time before we go to your word, that we would do so, that we would make known uh, our petitions. I just uh, I just pause in this time for us to lift up those names, the things that we know are in need. I pray that we would do so now as a body. Lord, we thank you that we can bring these things before you. We do just lift up all those in need, those uh, the needs that we don't need, that, that we don't know this morning. Uh, those There are some here that sit here and, and maybe have not shared a need. I just lift those things up to you. We know that you know them and that you are sovereign over all, and we thank you for that. We pray that uh, you would meet us in this place. We ask uh, your Holy Spirit would be here to guide us in your word, that you would make it clear that uh, we just confess that we can't do that without you, that we need you moving in this place. We need you showing us. We need you applying it to our hearts. And uh, we thank you that you promised to do so when we ask. So we just, we humbly ask this morning that you do that. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, as we begin this morning, I was thinking about, uh, I don't know if you've heard, maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, it's 2012, so that means the world is ending because uh, there's a Mayan calendar that says so. Uh, maybe you've heard that before. It's kind of a big thing when 2000. They even made a movie about it. Really stupid, stupid movie, by the way. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, don't see the movie 2012. It was on TV the other day. It is not worth the time. But um, but when those things happen, what comes up is you get these kind of futuristic things and people latch onto it and they make a big deal. I remember uh, uh, whenever there's some natural disasters, people always go back to Notre Dame and they'll start to say, oh, look, he said this, this was going to happen. And they. They try to paint it in such a way that maybe it's pointing to this. And um, a lot of times they're really silly and they're, they're kind of people grasping at straws. But I mention that because this morning as we go to the word, we go to God's word and we, we step back into this series that we're doing and we go to Exodus. We see this wonderful picture that starts to unfold. And what we see is this promise that we looked at a few weeks ago as we've been walking through this series uh, to Abraham. This promise was made. Uh, 700 years before it comes to fruition in what we're looking at today. And so when I hear those kind of silly, like, oh, well, this person said this, or this per-, and they make a big deal about it, or they want to latch onto it, I want to say just open God's word and see the way he moves and the way he makes promises and the way he's good on his word and the way it comes through. And not only are we going to see that today, we're actually going to see a picture that emerges in Scripture 
that's uh, really 1,500 years in the making. It's a picture that starts here in Exodus and it doesn't come to fruition until 1,500 years later in Christ. And so you see these two pictures of how God is moving over great periods of times and the promises he makes and how they come about. And so uh, it's, a, it's a really exciting thing to look at when we start to see the big picture of it. If you haven't been with us or maybe you've forgotten or maybe you missed some weeks or whatever it may be, we've been walking through a series called The Story, The Big Idea. We're looking at big overview, kind of flyover of a lot of big uh, themes and, and uh pictures and scripture and what we've seen is just real real briefly we saw that God created all things he makes man as his image he gives them a purpose and that is to glorify and to know him to be in his immediate presence and we saw in Genesis 3 man falls he turns his back on God and then immediately right there in Genesis 3:15, God promises a savior that's going to fix it and really from that point on scripture becomes pointing ahead to what's coming And that is Jesus. So what you see is from right there in Genesis 3 all the way through, the whole story is is leading up to Christ. So a good way, and I I say this, this is the way I learned it, and it helps me remember. The whole Old Testament is the channel of salvation, the way in which God is going to come. So we see that all the way through Scripture. So what we're picking up this morning, though, is as we've been moving through, God made this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, way back, right? Father Abraham. You know, the song we sing had many sons and he says, I'm going to give you lots and lots of sons and then they're going to I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then ultimately, I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And he does that in Genesis 12. And then he tells it again in Genesis 15. And he says all this. I'm going to bless the world through you, Abraham. Well, as we are today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter nine and 10 and 12. We're going to look at a few different verses. And if you don't have a Bible, or even if you do and you don't want to flip back and forth, those verses are actually printed on the back of your bulletin, so you can follow along with what I'm talking about. But what we've been seeing and what we say is, so he makes this promise to Abraham, and now 700 years have passed, and only one-fourth of that four-point promise has come to fruition. It's been 700 years, and that's all that's happened. And really, the only thing that's happened is what we saw last week, is Abraham's descendants that had gone down to Israel have now grown to be two to three million people. So the great number of descendants part has has come to fruition. As God said, you're going to have a lot of descendants, two to three million from your from your seat. That's quite a few. And so we see that we see that part of it, but that's it. And so we see this kind of picture uh, emerging, but it, it seems to be so slow. It seems to be taking quite a while for this to happen. And so this morning, it's really going to take a jump forward. We kind of see God's plan get rolling again. Um, We saw last week that God speaks to Moses and he calls him out and he says, you're going to be my spokesman. And I want you to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the most powerful man in all the world. Egypt's the, the kind of number one nation. And he says, I want you to go to him and tell him this. And when God speaks to Moses, as we saw last week, it had been 400 years since the Bible recorded God speaking to anybody. I think we miss that sometimes we read through Genesis and then we flip over to Exodus and we just keep going and we think, oh, well, God's speaking again. But we sometimes forget it's been 400 years in there. So we start to see this. And what God tells Moses to do is he says, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to tell him, let my people go. Let them leave. They're in slavery in in, uh, Egypt. And he says, you're going to let them go. And I want you to tell him this. And Moses is not too sure about that. And he's going, but then God tells him an interesting thing before he goes. He says, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. That is, he's not going to let you go right away. But what God says to Moses is he he says, I did that so that I can show my signs and wonders. So I can show who I am. 
So this is all part of God's plan. He tells them that right from the beginning. This is part of how I'm I'm moving and I'm acting. So what we're going to look at today in these three passages, it's kind of this whole episode. If you know this story, Moses goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And they go back and forth. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. So God brings a plague. And then he, he kind of wavers and then he says, no, I'm not going to let you go. And then he brings another one. And there's ten plagues. And the three passages we're going to look at happens after the seventh and the eighth and then right before the tenth plague. And we're just going to look at these three snapshots. And, and because of the way we're doing the series, the way we're doing kind of a big overview of Scripture, the reason I say it that way, I want to do it like that, is so we can take this whole of the Exodus, the plagues, this whole thing kind of is one and see what God was doing there. So... With all that said, there's your introduction to this. Let's let's look at Exodus 9 and then 10 and then 12. And like I said, those are in the back of your bulletins if you want to follow along. But first I'm going to read Exodus 9, uh, starting in verse 13. And it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourselves before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and on your people so that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. And then we're going to look at Exodus 10 verses 1 and 2. And it says, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and to your grandsons how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And then finally, God gives for the last plague, these very specific instructions This is what we've come to know as Passover. And he gives those instructions in Exodus chapter 12. So I'm going to read 12, 21 to 27. And, and it says this. Moses called all the leaders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Touch a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel of the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house, houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you have come to the land of the Lord, the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the house of the people of Israel in Egypt. And when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So we're going to take those three together. And I want to look at it this way. Often ask questions. We'd like to ask questions and then let the Bible, let the text actually answer them for us. So the questions I want to ask this morning is first, what is God teaching Israel by all this? Right? This, this 400 years and all the things and all this time, what is he trying to show them? What's he teaching Israel? And then what is he teaching Egypt? And, not, and when we say Egypt, we really mean the world because Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. And he says, I'm teaching you this so that you can tell the world. So really, we could say, what is he teaching Egypt? And kind of lump in the, with that together, what's he teaching the world? And then lastly, when we take these two things and we read this text that was written thousands of years ago, what does it teach us? 
What does God teach us by what he was doing for Israel and what he was showing Egypt? So we're going to take it those three ways. So let's start first with what is he teaching Israel? And I want to just remind you where we are. We've come down Abraham when his uh, descendants moved down to Egypt, right? Joseph, there's a great plague and they, they follow Joseph down and they get down there. There's 70 of them that go down. And they go down there and they're they're protected and God provides for them and they grow into a great number. But when they grow to such a great number, Pharaoh puts them in slavery. So like I said before, we're a long way from the promise of Abraham, that four part promise. Yes, there's a lot of descendants, but they haven't gotten the land. They're not a great nation. They're not blessing the world, but they're sitting down there in slavery now. And it seems like a long, long time, 400 years that they've been there. And what we saw last week, though, is here they are in slavery and they start to cry out and God comes down and he talks to Moses and he says, I know what's going on. I hear you. I hear your cries. I hear your suffering and I haven't forgotten about you. And he tells them, I haven't forgotten about you. And that's what he says. And that's what we saw last week. But the question I want us to ask that we didn't hit on last week is it's been 400 years. Why is God's plan taking so long? Why is he working this way? Why, why wait forever with all this stuff and take so long and make him go through that? And I wanted to stop and ask as we think about that this morning, as you're sitting here, does it ever feel like that to you? Are there times when you're praying for things or you're struggling with things and you think, why does it take so long? Why is God taking me through this now? Or why is it, I want an answer or I know it would be best if this would happen and it just seems to take so long. And the reality that we saw last week and what we see even in this passage and we saw with Joseph, we've seen it several weeks, is that God's timing is not our timing. And that's very hard for us. It's very hard for me personally because I'm a very impatient person. And so when I start to think about God's timing and why doesn't this happen and I want it all to happen right now and here it is. And God's timing is not our timing. So when we start to think about this story and what he's doing with Israel and why 400 years, why does it take so long? And I want to remind you something that we, we hit on several weeks ago. I think we actually may have covered it in Sunday school. I think Dr. Ross covered it. In Genesis 15, when God gives this, uh, he ratifies this covenant with Abraham. A covenant's a promise. He gives this promise to Abraham and he tells him, I'm going to do this. He says this thing right in the middle in Genesis 15. He says, your descendants are going to be great. You're going to do all these things. You're going to go to the grave. You're not going to quite see all this, but this is going to happen. And then right in the middle, he says, and there's going to be 400 years that your descendants are foreigners in a land and they're going to be slaves. And they're going to God told them this was always the plan. This isn't something that God forgot about the people or it slipped up or, oh, no, what happened? This was always the plan. And I just want to remind you to that the 400 years was part of the plan and part of it. um, There's some very practical reasons why God does this. He takes them down to the land of Egypt. And if you study the history and you know a little bit about what was happening, had they gone and stayed in the promised land, they probably would have been wiped out as they grew in number. The surrounding countries would have attacked them and wiped them out. So God took them down to Egypt to preserve them. They were they were kept uh, just so, so they could grow the way they did. But there's also a couple other reasons that our text tells us why he did it the way he did. In, in uh, chapter 10, look at verses 1 and 2 again, because he says it right there. He says, go into Pharaoh. I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants that I may show these signs among them. And that you may tell in the hearing to your sons and your grandsons how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and the signs that I've done, that you may know that I am the Lord. And what God says is this was all part of my plan, even Egypt rising to power, even you being in slavery. So I can take you out so I can show and then you can teach it to your sons. 
Remember, God's starting here and he's building a, a holy nation. He's bringing this, this people out. He's bringing them so he can do his work. And he says, I'm teaching you all the way along. And that's what he says. But then look at verse uh, 15 and 16 in, in chapter 9. For now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people. This is Moses addressing Pharaoh. God's telling him, right? You're going to tell him this. I could have wiped you out. You could have been cut off from the earth, but for this purpose, I've raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So what you see is God allows this to happen and to happen in this way over this much time. He allows them to be taken captive so that he can show these signs. He allows them to be taken captive in what becomes the most powerful nation in the world so that he can show I am sovereign even over the most powerful nation in the world. See, God's working through all of this to show who he is. That yes, nations rise and they fall and all these things happen, but God says, I'm still in control over all of it. And I'm showing you that. And he says, I'm showing you that so you can know that I am the Lord. Right? That's who he is. He's completely sovereign over all things. And he says, I'm working all this to show you that. So you clearly see who I am. And he's not only doing that, he's setting them up for taking the land. He's teaching them how, who he is and how he works. Remember, they're going to be taken out and we're going to see that in the coming weeks. He's going to take them out of the land of Egypt and he's going to take them to the promised land and give it to them. And as he does so, he's showing them who he is. And this is kind of the setup. Look what I can do. Look at who I am. I am sovereign and I am control. And he's doing that. So we see that. Um, but also this, just this time, you know, sometimes we look at these long periods of time, 400 years and these hardships and they're in slavery. And we look at it from the negative Oh, it's so, so hard, and why did it take so long, and why that? But in that, he's growing. He's growing them. He's bringing them closer to him, and he's doing that when he shows this. It's the same thing with us. Sometimes we pray and we say, God, do this right now. I need this right now. And we're so certain of what it would be if you just do this, whatever it is, and sometimes the answer doesn't come immediately. And the reason that God does that, and Scripture talks about this over and over, is he takes us through ups and downs in these things to strip away the things that were our self-reliance, to show us how much we need them. In those hardest times, suddenly we start to go, okay, God, I don't know what to do. When things are going well, it's very easy to forget. And so he does the same thing with us, and he uses it. The, the, the long, what seems to be long periods of time is God's perfect timing, and he's taking us through those, those ups and the downs to show us, and he's showing us that he's sovereign over all, and he's showing us that he wants us to draw closer to him. As he says here, I'm doing this so that you see who that I am. And so he's doing that all the way through, and we see that. So the first part I want you to see that he's teaching Israel is he's saying, I'm teaching you that I am the Lord. And I am over all this and I'm sovereign, right? I'm over nations and I've let this happen with Egypt and I've let you be taken captive, but I'm still in control. And so that's the first part of what he's teaching, teaching uh, the Israelites. But there's a second part here and it's really the central part of this narrative when you get into Genesis. The Exodus, God taking his people out of this land where their slavery is and pulling them out. The central part of that, it surrounds around Passover. It's the last plague. And God gives them this very uh, vivid picture and he's clearly showing them who he is and how we come to him. I want you to think about that for just a second. He starts us right here. He says, I want you to know that I am the Lord. And then he says, now you're going to do this. And what God's saying and what he's showing them is there's one way to come to me. You have to come to me the way I prescribe. This is the way it looks like. You have to put faith in what I tell you and then I will take care of you. I will save you, but you have to trust me. 
Right? That goes back to the very beginning. We were created in his image to trust him and live with him. And we turned our backs. He's doing the same thing. You have to trust me. And so what we see is God revealing in this uh, Exodus 12, his perfect justice and his perfect judgment. We've talked about that every week. I said this over and over. If you've been here, you've heard this a lot. That when we sin, when we sin, our sin is actually against God. When we do things that we're not supposed to, we're sinning against God because he said clearly you're supposed to live this way. And when we don't, we're ignoring God and the world that he created. That's what sin is. We're ignoring God and the world he created. And because of that, there has to be a payment for that. And he starts to show and reveal that right here in Exodus 12. And he gives them this picture. If you look there with me again, let's look at verses 21 to 24 again. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan, clan and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip in the blood that is in the basin and touch it to the lintel and the doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And then he says, the Lord will go through in verse 23. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over and he will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and your sons forever. And so what we get this, this picture that God says, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to take the blood and you're going to smear it on your door. And if I see that, then you'll be okay. And now when we hear that today, when we read that today, modern 2012 person, you read it and you go, what in the world? If you, if you don't know the Bible very well, or you've heard, not heard that story before, or maybe the first time you, you can remember back the first time you hear some of these stories and you go, what in the world is it talking about? Killing a lamb and rubbing blood all over everything and all this stuff. And uh, what I want to kind of set this up, what's happening to hopefully make some sense of this. In verse 23, God says, if you do this, I will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. And I want you just to think for just a second, put it in biblical perspective, what he's talking about. When God says, I'm not going to let the destroyer enter your house. What's happening in Egypt 3,500 years ago on that one night was God says, I'm going to fast forward and for one night and one place at this time, I'm going to have the judgment. I'm going to have what's coming at the end of time when you stand before me. I'm going to unleash that for just one time in history at this point. And he says, my judgment is going to come and it's going to come justly and perfectly. And if you are not clinging to the way that I provide, if you're not putting your faith in what I tell you to do, you will be judged. You see that God's already saying the way that you come to me is you put your faith in the way that I provided and nothing else. And that's what he's telling them and what he's teaching them right there way back in this. You actually see it in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 12. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I want you to understand what he's saying there, right? You either put your faith, he says, you either put your faith in what I've told you, in the way that I've told you, is you take the lamb and you take the blood and you put it on your door and you trust me, right? That doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, the blood and the lamb. and the, it, it did to them, to us it doesn't make any sense, but to them we'll talk about why in just a second. But he tells them to do it and you trust the way that I've told you or think about what the alternative is. He says in verse 12 that I'm going to judge all the gods of Egypt. You can either trust the God of Israel and what he's saying or you can... Go on your own and trust your own gods. Right? And God says, if you do, I will come in and I will strike down the firstborn. Judgment will come. 
And you have to put your faith in what I'm telling you and nothing else. God's clearly, his judgment's coming on all these false gods. That's what he's been doing with all the plagues. If you know the story in, in Exodus, the plagues that come up, there's the Nile that turns to blood, darkness during the day. By the way, in Egypt, they, they worshipped all these things. They worshipped the Nile, they worshipped the sun, they worshipped all these things. And God just systematically goes through and says, I'm in control of this and of this and of this. And he's showing them, your gods are, are, are useless. It's only the way that I say. So what he's telling them here is you come to me in the way I prescribed and that's it. There's one way you come to me. And now as I say that this morning, maybe you have that objection, maybe you don't. When we say that in our society today, that makes people very upset. If I say, as a Christian, Jesus has revealed himself. I'm sorry, God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. That is the one way you come to me. And as a Christian, I say, that's right. That is the only way that we can come to God. That's what Jesus said. No man comes to the Father except by me. That makes people angry. How can you say that? That's very frustrating. And and maybe you have that objection. I'm not making light of it. Maybe you sit here today and you go, yeah, that sounds really exclusive. And it sounds really narrow-minded. And I don't know how you can say that. How, how do you know and that's not fair or uh, that just sounds so arrogant or obnoxious or whatever it may be? And what happens today in our society is what we then say, what becomes common sense is, well, all ways are equally valid. And then the next step is, so no one can make an exclusive claim. You can't say that Jesus is the only way because all ways are equally valid. But I want you to think, if you have that objection or you come into contact with somebody and they say that to you, I want you to think about what they're really saying. What they're saying is, I have figured it all out, and I know that none of them are right, or they're all equally valid, and they're making a very exclusive truth claim. There's a great uh, analogy that tells us. A lot of times people will say this. I've heard this, uh, maybe you've heard this story before, or this little analogy. They'll say that the all world religions, um, it's like an elephant. God is an elephant. He's a great big elephant, and all the world religions, we're all just blind men trying to figure it out. And they'll say, so like Christianity is saying, uh, they're telling one part of who God is. So the blind man's standing there and he's touching the elephant's trunk. And he's saying, well, God is really long and he's strong, but he can move all around. So they're holding on to the trunk. And then the other guy over here, maybe it's Islam, is holding on to the, the leg. And he's saying, no, 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 God is like a tree trunk and he doesn't move. And somebody else is touching the side. And they're saying, oh, he's real smooth. He's very flat and smooth. And so they tell that story and they say, see, we're all just trying to to tell the same thing, and no one can say their way is right because we just don't know. But I want you to think about that illustration for just a second. The person who's telling the illustration, that's telling you what's going on, what vantage point do they have? Right? The only way you can tell that illustration is if you can see the whole truth. So what's behind that objection when we say that is, they're all equally valid. The person who's saying always are equally valid is saying, I know the truth. I've seen the whole picture and you're all wrong. Or they're saying God has revealed himself in a bunch of different ways that are contradictory, which doesn't really make sense either. And so I say that this morning, that if you have a real problem when I say, well, God's revealed and this is the way that we come to him. I want you to think about when you say, well, all ways are equally valid. You're making a very exclusive truth claim. And it's based on faith. It's based on faith. And you think, well, God's reveal themselves in all these different ways. You're putting your faith in something. So I just say that. So don't dismiss. I hope you don't bristle when I say Christianity is the only way and not consider what it's saying. Because the reality is you're going to make an exclusive claim somewhere along the way if you start to do that. We, we like to think it's real open-minded and we're so 
we see everything the same, but the reality is we're being very exclusive and then we're telling everyone they should believe the way we do. The exact same thing that they get upset that I'm saying. All right. So you fall. I just say that because that you will come into if you don't have that objection, you will come into contact with it a lot. You'll hear it a lot. It's almost like common sense in our world today. So back to this text for just a second. So God says, I am going to let this lamb. Right. You take the blood of this lamb. I'm going to let the lamb be the sacrifice for you. I will save you if you take the lamb and you hold to it and you put the blood on the door and you just follow what I say. And so what God says is, and this is what sacrifice means, and this is very foreign to us today. But a sacrifice was simply you took your hands and you put it on the on the animal and then you cut or you kill the animal and you drain the blood and you do this. And you're saying, I deserve to die, but this animal is taking my place. That's what animal sacrifice the way God set it up. And so what they were doing with the Passover is they take this lamb and they're saying that a sacrifice has to be made. But God's allowed us to use this instead of myself being the sacrifice. And so he gives us this substitution. You can do this instead of you having to be the sacrifice. The lamb can take your place. And if you do and you follow what he says, you'll be spared. Now, there's nothing real magical that happens. God just says what you have to do is you have to put your faith in what I've told you and follow what I've said. And that's it. You put your faith in me and you do what I tell you and I will save you. So what happens is the judgment comes and it comes on Egypt and it says they go through the house and and God strikes down anyone that hasn't put the blood on it. Those that aren't coming to him the way he said. And that's what we see. And so what we get with what God's teaching Israel through all this through all this time, he says, I'm in control and I'm in sovereign, I'm sovereign. And that the way that you come to me, the way that you come back to me, the way that you be my people is you put faith in what I tell you. I've provided a way and all you have to do is put faith in what I've told you to do. And you see the very heart of the Christian message. You see the very heart of Christ right here in Exodus 12. You put your faith in what I tell you to do and I will provide the way for you. And so we see that. And so the what happens is God moves through and he strikes down those that don't, that have not followed what he says. And in doing so, we see what he's teaching uh, Egypt. He's saying right there, he's coming in and he's teaching them. You see it in verse 14 of chapter nine. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you and yourself and on your servants so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. He's teaching the Egyptians who he is. And, and in doing so, simultaneously, all the gods that they're clinging to, they worship the sun, they worship the Nile, they worship all these things. He says, they can't save you. I'm teaching you who I am and who I am is what God is saying is I am sovereign over all and I'm the only true God and your gods mean nothing. Worshiping the sun does nothing for you. Worshiping the Nile, nothing. And what he's saying is he's pronouncing judgment on it. But then not only that, he tells them, he says, he tells Moses to go in. He says, I want you to hear what I'm saying. And in verses 15 and 16, he tells them, I want you to tell the Egyptians that I've let them go on for a time. I've let them become the most powerful nation in the world. And all of this, all that I'm doing, the rise and fall of nations is so that you can see who I am. God's pointing us back to who he is. And he's, so what we see through Egypt is he tells them that I'm raising up Israel and I'm going to I'm sovereign. Right. You've got a, a group of, of slaves that aren't a nation that have no army. They have nothing. But God says, I've chosen them and I'm going to use them and I'm going to bring them out. And in doing so, I'm going to show you who I am. Yes, you may be the most powerful nation in the world, but I'm God and I'm sovereign over all of it. 
And so he's working back and forth on both sides. And what we start to see is God's plan is going forth. That's what he's teaching us. Even when it looks like these people are in slavery and they've got nothing going for them and they're off in a foreign country and and they're not where God says and all these things, God says, I'm still in control. My plan will go forth. My glory will cover the earth. You will see who I am and nothing can stop that. And that's what he's teaching them. And he's showing them. And not only that, he's showing the Egyptians. And he says, I'm showing the Egyptians so that when I do this and I take them out, you can tell the world. Right. It's not all just about Israel. It's about both. It's about his glory spreading over all. And you begin to see it. It's really uh, as you move through Scripture and some about the things that you see and the confirmations and the way that God's moving. You move through Scripture. God pulls them out. You know, the rest of the story, he takes them out and they cross the Red Sea and he brings them down to the land. And then in Joshua, a couple of books later, we get to where God is bringing them in to the land. And Joshua goes into Jericho to spy it out. And there he meets a prostitute. And he meets this lady and she starts to go, I know who you are. I've heard about you. I've heard about what God did in Egypt. And I know your God is the real one. And you already start to see it going out. Here's this this lady in in the town of Jericho in the middle of this awful place. And she knows. She knows because God's proclaiming it through his works and what he's doing and his plans going out. And it's going all throughout the world. And you start to see it. She actually says to them, for the Lord, your God, he is the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. And so what we see is God's teaching that I am gathering believers from everywhere all over. And my word is going out and nothing will stop it. And it's going forth. And this is this is how I'm working. And so what we see is, yes, 700 years have passed, but God is still working. And even the rise and fall of nations and when it doesn't seem like he's doing anything, that's all part of his plan. He's going to work every bit of that together for good. And he does. And you start to see little glimpses as you walk your way through scripture and you see it over and over. So what does that teach us? Right. You can say, okay, well, that's what he's teaching Israel. He's showing them. He's teaching the Egyptians. He's showing them. So what does it teach us? And the. As I just said, even what he's teaching them, he's teaching to us today. We sit right now 2,000 years after Jesus lived. And we go, when, when's he coming back? When's the end of the world? When's the things that Jesus promised going to happen? And when we read this and we look at how God's timing is and how it's working, what it teaches us is God's timing is not our timing, but he is still active and he's still working. And his mission is still going forward. And he's still going to cover the earth in his glory completely and totally. He's going to come back and renew all things. And just because it seems like it's maybe taking longer than we thought, he's still sovereign. And he's working on so many levels at the same time. He's working in nations. He's working in your life personally. He's, he's in all those things. And we begin to see he's working on all these different levels. And he's always active day to day in everything. But the plan, uh, but not only that, the part that we see, the, the big picture idea, right? 700 years before he promises Abraham and then it happens. 1,500 years before Jesus, he institutes the Passover. He says, here you've, you've done this thing with the lamb and you spread the blood. And then he tells them, the next part he tells them is he says, I want you to do this every year from now on. Each year you're going to celebrate this and you're going to remember what I did. And he says, I want you to do that. And and he says, I want you to remember how by faith, by you putting your faith in what I tell you, I saved you. And what he's saying and all the way through scripture, I hear this often when people say, well, the Old Testament's the law and the New Testament's grace. 
That's, that's usually the way we, we say it, and we kind of divide it up like that. And the reality is, it's grace all the way through. God was always saving people by His grace and nothing else. You see it in Genesis 15. He tells Abraham, he says, I'm going to do all these things. And it says, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. He saves Abraham through his faith. You believe me, I will save you by what I'm going to do. Right? It's the same thing with the Passover. You put your faith in what I tell you to do. You follow the instructions I give you and I will provide the sacrifice for you. It's all faith. It's always through faith alone in what God is going to do. And you start to see that. And he tells them that. And he says, I want you to celebrate it and remember it and come back to it year after year after year with the Passover lamb. And you celebrate it each and every year. And this is the wonderful part of the the big scope picture of what happens. 1,500 years later, they've been celebrating this. They've been saying it over and over and over, the Passover lamb, and they would, they would retell the story. This is the bread, the bread of our affliction, and they would do all these things, and they'd tell it over and over. And then one day, John the Baptist in the wilderness, and he's standing there, and Jesus comes walking up, and he turns, and he points to him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And all of a sudden, this picture of 1,500 years of celebrating it every single year of what God's done and the way he's done it, John turns and looks at Jesus and he says, this is just a picture pointing to him. And he turns and changes it from it's no longer this, this, the blood of an animal and this thing and, and this kind of uh, shadowy picture. It comes into clear focus. This was all pointing to God's ultimate sacrifice, what he would do on our behalf in Jesus and nothing else. It was always completely and totally about Christ. And not only do you see it in John the Baptist, but you see it the night before Jesus goes to the cross and it becomes even more vivid. And you may or may not know it. Maybe you haven't thought about this before, but we celebrate this every week when we celebrate communion. We come together and we say, Jesus says, I was so eager to celebrate this Passover with you before I suffer. The guys all there know what he's talking about because they celebrate it their whole life. And instead of saying, this is the bread of affliction that points back to what God did and brought us out of Israel. He says, no, 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 now this is my body. It's no longer a sacrifice of an animal that you put on your door and you have to do all these things. It's now me is what Jesus says. You've been celebrating this forever to point to how I was going to come to save you. And I'm the promise that God promised in Genesis 3. And in Genesis 12 and in 15 and in here, all the way through, it was always completely, totally about Jesus and nothing else. And all of a sudden, God, you see how he was working 1,500 years in the making, a picture of a lamb, right? We just sang in a minute, you're the holy lamb of God. We say that all the time, right? And by the way, if you're new to the church or maybe you're visiting and you haven't been here, that's really weird when you first come in and you see they're singing about the Lamb of God and his blood and what that does. This is why. Because that lamb and his blood and this sacrifice was all pointing to what Jesus would come and do when he comes and takes our place. He becomes the sacrifice. It's still we're still saved the same way. That's what God was saying to Moses 3,500 years ago. It's the same thing he's saying to us today. I will save you. All you have to do is put your faith in the sacrifice that I've provided, and that's Jesus. You don't have to earn your way. There's nothing you can do. All you do is you take my perfect sacrifice, that Jesus that came and lived the perfect life for you that you couldn't live. He died the death that you should have died, and then he gives it to you free. 
And that was the whole thing. That's the, the story. That's what we're talking about every week. It all points to Jesus and what he would come to do. So I, I, I just hope this morning that you see that, that you see clearly that that's what this, this, this entire book, even Exodus, that's what it's about. Exodus, uh, the Passover is about Jesus, right? Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant is about Jesus. And it's all about how he would come to save us. And it's that picture all the way through. And so as, as we think about uh, sometimes it seems so long and why does he take so long and why does he do that? It's because of this. He's all moving towards that. And as we come to the table today and we, we, we say those words that I'm eager to celebrate this Passover with you and what that means, I hope you have a much fuller understanding of how all of this was moving to Christ and what he's done for us. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you that all of Scripture points us back to you, that it points us to how you're moving, that uh, your plans are not ultimately thwarted by nations, uh, not what's, uh, the things that we get so frustrated about going on in the world, that you're in control of all of them, that when we have hard times and frustrations, that you're still there all the way, that your plan is moving forward and that you are uh, active and that you are real and that you are alive, and we thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.